This is Kincaid and Breckenridge, exclusively on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. I'm Roger. That's Rob. Uh, what are we going to like more today, Rob? Are we going to like Newfoundland's budget or Alberta's budget? What, what's your pick? <laughs> I, I don't know. That's, that'll be interesting to put them side by side. I mean, uh, you know, Newfoundland's dealing with with its own issues, but uh, certainly related to the price of oil, too. Which, by the way, I get, what are we sitting at about $42 today? Or at least we're over 41 I believe. Uh, yeah, we're, I'm looking over your shoulder waiting for the number to scroll by on BNN. It touched $42 just moments ago. Uh, but yeah, we are north of 40 bucks, and the oil could be headed towards $50 or $30, depending on who you talk to. So I don't know exactly yeah. where that puts us. Well, but. I mean, even going back to when Jim Prentice was still premier and we were headed toward $50, remember we were still over that, and we talked about how dire $50 a barrel would be. So uh, maybe things are going in the right direction, but um, you know that that's still a long way from where we were and still well below it. Not too long ago, we, we even thought was was crisis. I mean, $60 a barrel, then $50 a barrel. We were freaking out over that. Um, so it illustrates the challenges the government faces today. We're expecting a deficit of over $10 billion, and, and clearly revenues from, from natural resources are way, way down. And so the government needs to, to figure out how to respond to that. But what are we going to see then today in terms of a long-term plan to not be as reliant on those revenues as the government has, has pledged? Seems they're there for now where we're still stuck on this roller coaster. Oh, yeah, we absolutely are. Like, I, I'm going to clear my throat on the matter. Uh, Rob, you, you know, you're a, you're a <clears throat> your own person. You can do as you wish. Um, but we're not here from, we want to hear from you as well. Nine seven four eight two five five. Not necessarily what you expect to see in the budget today, but what you would like to see, because this, this is how I've, I frame this conversation. Okay. We've all been through these, you know, budget talk radio programs before and, we, we know we get the same long-winded spiel out of the finance minister and how this, oh, this is the way forward. This, this, this is the budget. Um, but we're hurting right now. I mean, things aren't great in, in Alberta, particularly in Calgary. We're getting all these bad headlines. Stuff about uh, 20% vacancy rate in uh, office towers downtown. Um, you know, layoffs in, uh, in a, the, 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 the bankrolling sector of this province of ours. And I'm getting kind of tired of it personally as a taxpayer, as a, as a proud Albertan, and I would like to see something different done. Because for all of the fantastic rhetoric of getting us off the royalty roller coaster, the, the, the oil and gas roller coaster, and by the way, I say it always, I say it again, I like roller coasters. <laughs> we need to come up with a better analogy. Nobody wants to do that. No government that we have had, that we have, or that we will have, doesn't want that big piece of the pie that is energy revenue, royalty revenue, that comes in in, in gigantic numbers when oil's up around 100 bucks a barrel. But when it's down here, it's a problem because we never planned for it. Right. I mean, look, all, all sources of revenue are volatile. I mean, tax revenues, uh, corporate tax revenues in particular, are very volatile. But certainly revenue from, from oil is, is volatile given the volatility in the price. But I, I don't think it's I, – I mean, I'm not, I don't have a problem with the idea of, of spending some of that money as it comes in. I mean, why shouldn't we benefit today from it? Because it's the people today who are, are working to get it out of the ground. 
and to make something and to extract that value from it. So I, I don't have a big problem. I think we do need to have a conversation about, well, do we spend it all? Do we need to put more into savings? Why are we putting it into savings? What are we saving it for? What do we hope that, that money's going to accomplish? We should have that conversation, but I, I don't know that we're at that point. I, I think for now, the government is banking on a, a bounce back in the price of oil, and they'll figure out the rest later. Because I, I don't think I don't think that we're going to see any significant new taxes in this budget. I don't think they want to go down the path of raising income taxes more than they already have. I, I think that would be detrimental in, in these economic times. I mean, they've already raised corporate taxes. I don't know how much more blood you can get from that stone. And the idea of a PST, I mean, it's it's there. It's staring him in the face. I don't think they're they're going to touch him. No, I mean, they won't. You know, Daniel Smith made the point yesterday, which is a valid point. That look, if they got to want to build infrastructure, that's one thing. But no government should ever run an operational deficit, and that's what this government is doing. So that's on them, and they should address that. And if that means going out and finding more revenue, then suck it up and go do it, even though it's it's not going to be popular. So here, here's what I think they should do. And for whatever this is worth. But I, I just want to start the conversation and get your thoughts as well. 974-8255. You can text us also, 77770. Is that, first of all, this government has to introduce an HST. We would stomach it. And it would take some courage to do it. But here's why you should do it. Here's why it will work. Because we already pay a consumption tax. We pay a 5% PST. It was a 7%, or excuse me, GST. It was a 7% GST when the conservative government under Brian Mulroney bought it, brought it in. Stephen Harper didn't get rid of it. He just reduced it to 5%, understanding the economist that he is, understanding that this is a democratically fair tax and that it is a, it, it is a, a, a tax that is least punitive on most of the population. We need that here in Alberta because we currently have, I'm not going to say we have a revenue problem, but we have a money problem. And the money problem is this. We want Cadillac services, but we want to pay hatchback prices. Albertans want the best roads, the best hospitals, the best everything. And why wouldn't you? If somebody asked you, hey, do you want the best hospitals? No one would say, no, substandard hospitals would be just fine with me. Thanks very much. We want the best. The problem is we, we hate the price tag that's associated with it because we don't have to pay the full price when oil's up around 100 bucks a barrel. But when it gets down here, all of a sudden we say, well, you know, who's going to make up the shortfall? Not the Saudis. It's got to be us. Mm-hmm. So we've got to find a way to compensate for that price. And look, hey, when oil gets way back up there again, when it recovers and the economy recovers, you know, things will get cheaper again, I guess. But the, the, the point that I'm making is that we've got to start paying our way. That's something that Jim Prentice tried to tell us in that last election, and we punished him for his rude way of doing so. Well, but I, I think part of the argument is that, well, wait a second, that, that we do spend more per capita than most of the provinces. So are, you know, why, why is that? Right? Why, why can't we look at that side of it? And I think that's the frustration. So... You know, the New Democrats have boxed themselves into a corner because they really, I think, essentially ruled out any kind of significant and serious review of spending right. to fine cuts. So they're not going to do, do that. They already came in and they raised taxes. Uh, they raised taxes on upper income earners. They raised uh, corporate taxes. Uh, they have plans, of course, to bring in a carbon tax that is not going to be revenue neutral. Uh, you know, if you're going to bring a PST, you should start there and, and maybe just see where that gets you because to... to hit people with all these other taxes and then come in and bring in the most controversial of all taxes, um, people aren't going to go for it, even though there, there's a sound economic case to be made. Now, the other side of it is I don't think the, the NDP are looking to shift uh, the tax burden. 
I mean, Jack Mintz made the point, he was quoted yesterday saying this, that, look, if we added 4% to the GST, so we'd pay a 9% HST, that would raise about $4 billion annually for Alberta. Now, he suggests $2 billion of that could go toward the budget and making the deficit a bit smaller than it is. And then the other $2 billion could go towards uh, filling the void created by reducing other taxes, personal income taxes and corporate income taxes, that we rely more on a PST than these other taxes. But I, I don't think the NDP are interested in, in that. The words of Jack Mintz are music to my ears, uh, which brings me to my, my second point, which is to cut spending, cut operational spending. Joe Cece today uh, saying that um, they're going to get through this without making any reckless cuts, to which I say, well, how about some non-reckless cuts? It is entire is such a thing. Uh, yeah, there is such a thing. And look, w- w- this is it, it seems as though people are afraid to talk about cutting the salaries of public sector employees like teachers, nurses, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, because you're insulting and offending them. And you're saying that you don't value them. In fact, we do. All Albertans value the teachers. They trust their kids with the teachers to give them good uh, uh, education and care, frankly. Uh, we love to know that when you send your kids off to school that they're in good hands. We value our teachers. Similarly, we value uh, our, our nurses and our doctors when we send our loved ones into care, into hospital, etc. So that, that, that argument's a non-starter for me, but the point is we have a capacity about how much we can pay. And right now we're redlining. We can't have this. We, we have to cut spending. We have to cut the operational spending. And in a time when the entire economy takes a hit, it should be the entire economy that takes that hit, not just certain Albertans. So we need to cut spending. We need to find it. And we need to get ourselves back into a realistic frame of spending where this province can exist going forward because we're just going to continue to balloon and inflate that number to a point when the next time we have to have this conversation, it's even less sustainable, the situation that we're in. The problem is, though, with, with addressing salaries, is I don't know that this budget could because, of course, you've got different contracts in place for different... Uh, sectors of, of the public service. Um, but, you know, regardless, I don't know that the NDP has the appetite to go down that path. And uh, there, there are other things they could do. I mean, the Wild Rose made the point about finding savings in um, hiring and wage freezes. We could go down that path. So, I mean, the Wild Rose were, you know, to their credit, they, they laid out some areas where maybe there could be savings and maybe they overstate how much is, is there. But is the NDP interested in saying, okay, let's Let's go through that. Let's let's go down these these paths and let's look and see what's there and what we can do. There, there doesn't seem to be a concerted effort to to reduce spending really to any kind of significant uh, significant extent. And so that side of it to me is is disappointing. But I do wonder though. I mean, is is that the priority of people right now? If if you lost your job, are, are you sitting there saying, "Boy, I mean, they they gotta balance the budget," or if you know if you're out of work, is the priority? I wish there were more jobs. Is there anything we could do to, to make that a reality? You know, the one thing that this government could do uh, that would help us out next time we get into another one of these valleys in the price of oil is to have a tax system in place where they have some more levers that they can pull on. You know, raising the corporate income tax uh, has not helped to create any jobs in this province. Um, taking it from 10 to 12% has not stimulated employment in any way, shape, or form. Um, they could lower it to 10%. You'd wonder if the horses aren't already out of the barn, but they clearly uh, won't break an election promise in today's budget by giving uh, 2% back to the, uh, the one percenters, the, the uh, corporations that steal from, you, know, you, you understand the rhetoric that I'm trying to push here. 
But my, my point is, is that if we could somehow get this government to be the one that grabs the wheel and puts us on a path to a much better taxation scheme, one where income taxes and uh, uh, corporate income tax aren't the primary, uh, uh, you know, uh, coffer stuffers, if you will, but rather have consumption taxes, which are far more uh, democratically uh, uh, equitable. Uh, let a PST, let an HST be, be the primary means of getting money out of citizens of Alberta and, and, and raise up the personal exemption. Have that PST, the reward for us swallowing that bitter pill, be that we get to keep more of our paychecks up front so we can do things like take care of ourselves, save for our own retirements, uh, send our kids off to university better so that we don't require uh, government social safety nets to, to the same degree. Now we're going to hear from Ron Nebo University of Calgary after 10.30, but we'll take a break right here. We'll come back some, some time for your phone calls, 974-8255, where, where you think the budget needs to go, what ought to be the top priority, what are you fearful of, and what would you like to see today? Now the budget comes down at 3 o'clock, and of course, Daniel Smith will be live at the legislature. This is Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. All right, nine seven four eight two five five. Let's start with Mel. Mel, good morning. <laughs> good morning, guys. How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. How about you guys? Fantastic. Anyway, uh, first of all, I would like to thank you guys for opening up this conversation. I wish a hundred percent to the population of Alberta listen to you guys. I'm pretty sure. Wait, what? They, they do? No, what? <laughs> I think they do. They do. Okay, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Well, there's so many people just so disconnected. Is of what's happening in Alberta, you know, you ask or disenchanted, right? And they have no idea. But anyway, what the provinces and all the governments, like in Alberta here, for quite a few years, they have not been willing to look at all of their expenditures. Like they shouldn't be given out like uh, grants willy nilly. If they wanted to, they could, you know, do a low-interest loan or a no-interest loan to certain groups, but not hand out cash to certain interest groups. And, uh, you know, they have to look at their expenses first before they raise taxes. Governments are historical for not, you know, watching what they're spending, the public purse, and then turning around and uh, just raising taxes when... They run out of money. Okay, yeah, that's a good point, Mel. I mean, yeah, they've set us on a path, and then when uh, uh, you know we find some some uh, fiscal headwinds here, financial headwinds, um, don't know what to do. And and you know, one of the kind of uh, points that a lot of people raise here to illustrate this is talking about defined benefit pension plans, where you know you you, you essentially say, hey, we'll promise you this, and then it becomes something that they got to revisit a decade from now, and it turns proves to be unsustainable. So. Let's see, I get back to the phone. So we got next. We got uh, Jim up next, I believe. Uh, Jim, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. I usually like to lambaste uh, the NDPs, and but you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna back off on this one. The, the situation here is that, and I will give them a, the the situation, the the, the the position we're in a break because we didn't get here overnight. Right. And it goes back to the point where actually the conservatives with Stelmack and Redford, when they actually, you know, they were left in such good position after Klein that they had to be the nice people. Like, why would we, why would we stop with health care premiums? Like, like why, it takes so long to get these things in place. And uh, why, wouldn't, why would we go down that road and just start spending money and, and relying on the royalty? See, we, we got so dependent on the royalties. 
Mm-hmm. Now what? It's the same thing with the GST. It was so much work to get in at 7%, then we had to go back to 5 Like, why would we just not? There was, the money could have went into a savings account for a rainy day. But we have to go down this road, and, and now, now we've got to fight this thing. We could have been in a position to ride this out. Yeah, that's the hardest part about it, Jim. I, 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 I love the phone call, and I love the frustration in Jim's voice, because the hardest thing about it is to know that we were on such good footing and that the potential was there. Like, we, we locked in potential, and then we just unlocked it and started handing it out like candy. Uh, he talks about health care premiums, which I, I don't think were a great solution. Um, I think it's a good idea to uh, have a, an expense that we can that is tangible that we can tie to healthcare, um, but I think that it needed to be a little bit more equitable uh, across the uh, across the entire province. But the, the point is, is that we just basically said, hey, you know, we have an opportunity to get rid of these. It'll be a fan favorite. Let's just throw some candy off the float, and that's what they did. Uh, and in so doing, kind of created this uh, this downfall, this path towards uh, uh, you know sending the Alberta advantage to uh, one province to the east. Let's keep it going on the phones here. Bill is up next. Bill, thanks for calling in. Hi guys, um, good program. Thanks. The one of the things with public sector wages is we always talk. You guys hit the nail on the head. What is a what is a nurse worth? What's a teacher worth? Mm-hmm. The private private sector wages are always in flux. There's always dynamic pressures in both directions, upward and downward. And they, you know, a welder's worth what a welder's worth. And, and he's worth as much as his economic output. We never, we never apply those dynamics to the public sector. So right now, a school teacher makes 40% more adjusted for inflation than they did in 1970. And yet we have a, a surplus of school teachers, one out of every three or one out of every four uh, education grads won't find a job teaching right. out of university. So we have this surplus, and yet we're not applying any downward pressure to find out where, where, where a teacher, where do we get to a point where people don't go to university to take education? Now we know what a, a teacher's worth. And we don't do that all the way across the board. We're paying police officers some 30% more than they made back in 1975. You know, hang, hang on a second. I just want to stop you for a second because well, I, yeah. I, I'm guilty of it. All right. I brought up uh, teachers and nurses in, in the last conversation I was talking about, uh, yeah. about you know, the, 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 how much we pay them. That, that's a mistake, and that's just low-hanging fruit. Like, we always do this, and I admit that I'm guilty of it on this very program. But when we're talking about public sector employees, we've got to be talking about people who are like the chief of staff in the premier's office, uh, all oh. the all the ministerial aides, like everybody who crops up on that sunshine list that's making over 100 grand a year. We've got, uh, you look at uh, uh, the medical examiner, the chief medical examiner, or, or, or Dr. Talbot. Uh, you know th- these people who clock three hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. Asking those people to take four, five to ten percent wage rollbacks because everybody's got to pitch in. That's where you come up with seven hundred million dollars in savings across the board. I I believe that we for those upper sector or upper end jobs in in management in the public sector, we need to put a come up with a number that is the maximum you can earn in the public sector that is fixed to the average personal income or the average Alberta family income. Well, and, and you know, keep it somewhere in the neighborhood of 2.5 times. I like the number 2.5 times. All right. Yeah. But somewhere along there. And then if I can add the Heritage Trust Fund, $18 billion we've never 
had an actual concrete plan as to what the purpose of it was, what we're going to do with it, when we're going to do what we're going to do with it, that money may as well be on the moon. <laughs> All right. Thanks for the call, Bill. Really appreciate it. Yeah, that's kind of the wild card here because no one wants to talk about that. And, uh, you know, we, we, we brag about the asset we have. It would seem short-sighted maybe for the government to say, well, you know, we're looking at a $10 billion deficit this year, so we'll just take $10 billion out of that. And, yay, the balance, uh, the budget's balanced. But then we're, we're still facing a big problem next year. Now, all of a sudden, we're, we're out $10 billion from the account. But, yeah, he's right. I mean, should we start building it up again? Should we uh, draw from it? What, what is the purpose of the Heritage Fund? And what do we want to be done with it? Yeah, you talk about, Rob, you talk about uh, about extracting the energy resource and then, like, spending it to build the province for the people who, who work here today. Do you think it makes more sense to convert that into cash that can be just invested and, and, and let that interest be the new resource? Like, let that interest play the role that royalties play? Because to me, that's the whole thing. Like, we have an opportunity to look at the province and say, like, if we really are trying to build this place for future generations, to say, why don't we just, for, like, five years put every dollar into that fund, and then we'll just start living off the interest. Well, yeah. Well, let's stand down for the 1030 News here because we're going to get to, to Ron Kneebone from the University of Calgary after the bottom of the hour. We'll, we'll ask him that question, right? I mean, how do we get ourselves to a situation where we don't rely as much on energy revenues? And what does that look like? And what should our tax structure look like? And what does it mean on the spending side? Are, are we spending as, as much as we need to? Could we reduce spending? If we look at uh, what we're spending versus other provinces. So we'll take a look at kind of where Alberta stands right now and uh, get some input from, from Ron Kneebone. Keep taking uh, phone calls as well here, 974-8255. We're back with more right after this. All right, I'm Rob. That's Roger. It's Budget Day in Alberta. As uh, our friend Jane Gerson put it in the National Post today, that um, like governments before it, the NDP want to maintain the highest per capita spending and the lowest tax regime. And sometimes when oil's high, you can get away with that. The situation we're in now means uh, an enormous deficit. All right, let's get straight to Ron Kneebone, professor in economics at the University of Calgary School of Public Policy. And we're going to take some more time after this conversation with Ron to get your uh, your phone calls, 974-8255. Anne is waiting patiently, and she, she'll be the first one up. Uh, Ron, welcome to the program. Good to have you. Thank you. So um, I, does this look like a rerun to you, or should we have expected something different from a new political party in government, and we're just kind of getting the same old? I was hoping for something different, but I don't think I'm going to get it. Uh, previous PC governments, well, that's what we've always had. Conservative governments have always behaved in the same way when this has happened. They've hoped and prayed for a return in oil prices. I was hoping the new government would do something different. Um, but on the very first day of office, they cut that off. They said they would never consider a sales tax, which means they have only one option, which is either to dramatically cut back on spending to close this deficit or uh, hope and pray for oil prices to come back. Right, which is what we've done in the past. And, and I guess we're, we're, we're essentially doing that now, it seems, aren't we? Yep, that's all. We're, we're going to repeat this game. We've done it before. So what does something different look like? Something different looks like uh, doing what the NDs talked about during the election campaign, which is to get off this oil 
price royalty um, roller coaster. We depend crazily on oil prices to fund health care, education, and social assistance. We've got to stop doing that because when oil prices fall, all of a sudden we're left high and dry. When oil prices are high, we spend like crazy on a very generous health care system, more generous than anywhere else in Canada. When oil prices fall, we're left high and dry without the revenue to support it. So there's two things here. First of all, let me put the second question first. One, I think it'd be irresponsible for a government to have a resource and not uh, take advantage of it. So you're clearly not saying that that shouldn't make up part of the revenue picture. But address the, the description of our healthcare system as generous. What exactly do you mean by that? Well, we spend more on health care per capita than any other province. Uh, and we get no better results than any other province. Right. The wait lines here are just as long as they are anywhere else, but we're spending significantly more money. And I'm not saying we shouldn't exploit oil. I'm just saying that we shouldn't, uh, when we get this revenue, we should not rely upon it for, to fund health care and education and social assistance. We should be putting it aside so that when oil prices fall, we don't lose the revenue necessary to pay for health care. Instead, we simply save less. So that, that's more like a sustainability fund like we had where we, we access it. We had a, we blew through that sustainability right. fund. That seventeen billion dollars is now gone um, because again the government doesn't treat it like a sustainability fund. A sustainability fund is something that you replenish during good times. They've never done that. They simply set these things up, drain it, set it up, drain it. All right. So, look, I mean, Joe Sisi is going to come out today and he's going to say $10 billion deficit. Uh, this is kind of, I mean, this is one of the options that they have. They can just basically borrow the money and, and kick the can down the road a little bit. But it seems to me that uh, you're kind of in, <clears throat> indicating there's an opportunity of some sort here. Uh, what's the opportunity? I'm suggesting that that choice comes from, with a real cost. So let's do this. Let's do. Let's borrow $10 billion this year. Uh, and we won't worry too much about next year for now. But $10 billion this year means that we now have to spend $400 million on interest payments that we didn't have to spend before. That comes right out of health care, education, social assistance. So let's do this another year. Next year, because we, we don't seem to have any plan other than hoping and praying for, to close this deficit. So that's another $10 billion. That's another $400 million that can no longer be spent on health care, but must instead be spent on interest payments. When does this end? If we have four years of this, that's 80, or, sorry, that's, uh, I'm losing track of my arithmetic. That's a, that's that's okay. a one, Everybody one, is. $1.6 billion that we can no longer spend. So my point here is that borrowing money is not free. Anyone who has a mortgage knows this. You have to pay interest on it. And right now, interest rates are low. But if interest rates ever start to go up, this is really going to bite. And the person that's going to bite is the Alberta taxpayer. Well, let me ask you this, because... um you know, you talked about the the need, I think, to to look at other options like uh, an HST, and and also pointing to the fact that that we do spend a lot. Do do we need to do both at the same time? If the government did have, if we had an HST, it would still be worth reviewing how much we spend on healthcare, for example. Should we do both? Should we look at revenue and look at spending? 
oh, we must definitely do both. And as a matter of fact, I would never allow the government to have access to an HST until they showed me that they can actually control their spending. Because if I just throw more revenue at them, they're going to spend it. So as taxpayers, we need to see a viable plan for the government to reduce its spending. And then we can maybe talk to them about give them access to more of our incomes. Ron, in the previous 30 minutes, I suggested that the reward for swallowing the bitter pill of, a, of an HST or a PST, if you will, uh, should be a reduction in uh, uh, income taxes uh, or, and maybe it's one of the same uh, to you, uh, an increase in the basic uh, personal exemption. Um, would, that, would that be a better plan? That, that's how I would sell it. People always talk about, you no, know, no one, it's political suicide to have an HST. But I, I think you could sell it. And the, w- the way other governments sell it, especially resource-dependent ones, is to say, I'm going to introduce, say, a 5% HST. That would bring in $5 billion or more for the Alberta Treasury. I will now throw that into, uh, that will enable me to save oil and gas royalties into the Heritage Fund and build up that fund. Over time, if we could stick to this plan for five or ten years, I could start to knock off a percentage point from the HST. Within about 30 years, we could get rid of the HST because we've saved so much and we've Realize and the return on that investment that's so large, we would no longer need the HST. So I would sell it as a temporary measure to get ourselves off of the oil price royalty roller coaster and get these finances in shape. Wouldn't we be better off keeping that and reducing other taxes? Uh, sorry, keeping the HST and reducing other taxes? Yeah. Uh, sure, we can do that, but. And again, I'm all in favor if in a normal time, if we had a balanced budget, then I would certainly say let's introduce an HST and cut the personal income tax uh, to give us a more fit, what economists call a more efficient tax regime. But we're, we need revenue. Uh, so we can't afford to be cutting other taxes. We need revenue. Right. All right. Uh, Ron, we'll leave it at that. We're going to open the phone lines up again to uh, more of our listeners who have been informed by what you've had to say. We thank you for your time today, sir. Okay. You're Uh, welcome. That's Ron Nebone, professor of economics, University of Calgary School of Public Policy. He says he was hoping for something different in the budget, but instead it it just appears to be the same old, same old. And uh, one of the glaring things, obviously, is this $10 billion deficit, which is going to cost more money going down the track as we have to have a repayment plan. And part of that will uh, be incurred uh, interest payments. Uh, borrowing money's not free. And so <laughs> what's this province going to do? Right. You know, it's like the point we made at the start. I mean, having the highest per capita spending and the lowest tax regime is not sustainable. Now, I don't think anybody's arguing to flip it around where we'd have the lowest per capita spending and the highest taxes, although that would be interesting to see, I suppose, what that would mean uh, for the bottom line. But uh, that, that, that it's just not sustainable. And the New Democrats are essentially doing exactly what the PCs did for so long to just... Um, Hope for the best to, to keep doing that and then to, to let uh, oil money paper that gap. All right. We're going to uh, uh, take a commercial break here uh, and in so doing prove that we don't have a revenue problem. I was trying to find <laughs> a cheeky way to say it. we're going to commercials. Uh, but when we come back, we're going to get to your phone calls. 974-8255. And your first stop, it's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. All right, nine seven four eight two five five. Let's get right to the calls here, Rob. It's budget day. Anne's been waiting. Go ahead, Ann. Well, 
good morning. Thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. Thanks for calling. I was, well, I have moved here from Ontario. I was only there for a few years from my beloved Alberta. And I'm very surprised at the take on Ontario with Alberta. Um, when I was talking to a friend yesterday about, gosh, Alberta's in trouble, she said, and you should be, you don't pay, pay your fair share of taxes. And they believe that unless we pay a sales tax, that we should not get anything back from the federal government. And I, I just am amazed at that. That's peculiar. That's that's. Well, that, they, I don't know how they, I don't understand they, the correlation between the two. But. Well, they just don't feel that we pay our fair share of taxes, and I must admit, moving back to Alberta, it is far less expensive to live here because we don't have the HST. Uh, yeah, I guess that's a. Well, I wouldn't say it's far less expensive to live here than in some parts of Ontario, but I guess it's, it, it kind of goes on a jurisdiction-by-jurisdiction jurisdiction basis. But, I mean, well, yeah, I Ottawa claims, Ottawa, yeah, Ottawa gets its money from us through through income taxes. So, I mean, if, if Alberta's got a higher average wage than Ontario does, then we probably pay more than our fair share of taxes. Definitely. But what they look at, and this is a girl that's very high up in the NDP. Well, it, there's... I must admit, I was the token conservative where I live. I <laughs> get you. And thanks so much for the phone call. appreciate that. Thank Let's you. Take care. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> I like the story, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the, the, the cost of living, that, that incorporates a lot of things. A lot of things, right? And so you could look at Ontario, and I'm sure, you know, it's uh, a lot cheaper to live in Thunder Bay than it is in Toronto. But you're still probably paying the same amount of tax. So that's going to factor in. And, yeah, I guess if you, you have to pay an HST versus not paying an HST, that's that's either money staying in or going out of your pocket. Yeah. The question here in Alberta is if, if the government really is going to be honest and say, you know what, we do want to keep spending at these levels. And so it's only honest and right that we find ways to pay for it. What would be the most efficient way of generating new revenues? Let's get to uh, Howard here. Hi, Howard. Go ahead. Hello. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Uh, you ask what's a uh, teacher, or nurse, or welder worth? Well, if they're good, they're worth quite a bit. Well, not what a welder. Well, not a oh, hang yeah. on, not a teacher. Teachers okay, aren't. There's no merit pay. Merit based pay in teaching. Uh, I was I was listening to your former caller there. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, okay, okay, what's a retired, not unaccountable politician worth? I'm talking about Allison Redford. Okay, for example. Right. I bought a copy of the Globe and Mail first time in my life last year to read the interview with her right. Her after being out for a year. Right. She gets half a million dollars a year to teach her daughter how to make pie crust, and those are her words. What, what do you mean half a million a year? Where's she getting half a million a year? She gets half a million dollars a year pension from the Alberta government. No, she doesn't. No, she doesn't. We don't have pension. Yeah. There's no pension here. what it said, man. No. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll look that up. We, we, don't have, we don't have pensions. We got rid of pensions for MLAs a long time ago. She gets half a million dollars a year from the Alberta government. For Why would she get half a million premier. a year? She never earned that even close to yeah. that as exactly premier. Exactly my point. Well, no, that, that doesn't. No, that's 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 the that's the question we're asking you. Like, what's that based on? We think I, I don't think you're calling up the talk radio show to, to lie to us, Howard. But I think you might misremember it or just have your facts a little bit misaligned. That the, the premier of the former premier of Alberta, who would have earned probably in the neighborhood of 
220000 a year as premier would get paid twice as More much twice to not be premier? That's that doesn't make any that's sense. That's what the article says. Okay, well, we'll look into it then, Howard. Thanks very much. Appreciate the phone call. <laughs> I, I'm going to say that it didn't. Right, I, well. I think he's, he's misremembering or he's, he's reading something else. Maybe, maybe that's what Allison Redford might have been entitled to as a lump sum... Uh, what yeah, they, what they well, call like, the, well, they, she left the transition money on the table. The transition money. But she wasn't in government that long, and then she vowed that she wouldn't take that transition money, which mm-hmm. I, I don't believe she did. No, that she left it. Yeah. That was a would have been a one-time thing, not an annual payment. So, no, that's that's just beyond bizarre. All right, um, Kelly. Hi, thanks for the call. Uh, yes, I just want to make a quick point about your consumption taxes. Yes, um, I'm really quite against them. But see, if you look at other provinces, they still have huge deficits yeah. and they all have consumption tax. So to me, it's okay, it gives us out of the hole today, but it just gives a license to our government to continue spending uncontrollably. Yeah, you, Kelly, yeah you're, t- you're totally correct, Kelly, and, and, and there's really nothing that any of us can do to cure government of their uh, misbehavior when it comes to spending like sailors on the drink, as I like to put it. But the thing, the reason why I want you to pay a, con- a consumption tax and, and, in so, uh, and the reward for you of taking on the duty of paying that consumption tax is that your income tax is, is decreased, is that I want you to have more of your money to save uh, and that you should only pay tax when you go and interact in the economy. I think that, that all of us would be a lot better off if we could get convince the government to understand that, no, we'll take care of ourselves. You don't need to do that for us with uh, pen, uh, pensions, et cetera, et cetera. Let me save first so that I'm better off and I can send my kids to school and I'll pay tax at the till. But that would be providing they would actually lower our income taxes because, again, a lot of other provinces have a lot higher well, income taxes than Alberta, yeah, right? Kelly, m- miracles can happen, though. Yeah, miracles for sure. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for your call. Yes. Well, I mean, look, the, did, did the federal government lower income taxes when they brought in the GST? Did, did the liberals, when they came in and they decided to keep the GST, did they lower income taxes um, in, instead of getting rid of the GST? No, and I, I think we, we got used to the GST being there. I, I, I agree. I mean, I think it should be a, a shift toward uh, an HST where we could reduce other taxes and, and rely more on what really is the least damaging form of taxation. Let's take one more call if we can. Uh, Silvio, go ahead. Hi. Uh, <laughs> I, uh... Oh, no. Oh, no. Silvio was hoping that there'd be some better cell phone transmission towers in the budget. <laughs> By the way, I, I pulled up the uh, the article from last year, Gary Mason's interview with Allison. I Redford, thought that's what he might have been talking about. Yeah, uh, that was in the Globe and Mail, and says nothing about anything like that. Right. You know, so. it, it's it's trendy and it's it's easy, and it's not a criticism on Howard. It's cheap for us to look at our politicians and say, well, they should be the first to take a pay cut. They did. They took a five percent rollback to make something in the neighborhood of one hundred twenty-seven thousand dollars a year. Cabinet ministers make around one hundred ninety. The premier makes somewhere in the neighborhood of two twenty. Uh, I'm guessing. Those aren't precise figures, but it's it's in that range. But the point of it is, is if you, let's just say you struck the salary altogether for all of the MLAs, those 87 individuals, that would account for about $11 million worth of money. Then what would you do? We need good people to do these jobs. The, the savings are not in the legislature. I'm sorry to say it, uh, but that's just a, a drop in the pail. It's, it's much, much bigger than that. Uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, I guess if you're going to ask the public sector to take a pay cut, I, I think it does at least set the tone that, hey, we're willing to take one, too. Shows leadership, sure. Sure, it does. Anyway, all right, let's take a break here. We'll come back. Uh, more to get to. Kincaid and Breckenridge, Newstalk 770. Roger Kincaid and Rob Breckenridge, weekdays starting at 930 a.m. on News Talk 770 Calgary.